listeners, hello followers, welcome to Mentally Sounds Life in Lockdown podcast series. This is episode 67. My name is Ricky Thaman and I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and its substance about anything and everything to do with mental health. So on that basis, as a disclaimer, we do urge you to go and see your GP, your crisis centre or therapist if you find the topics of our discussion distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast, formerly a radio show that pre-existed pandemic and lockdown. So we've adapted to a podcast medium for the meantime during lockdown. If you listen to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's fantastic community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM or online via the website at www.spicefm.co.uk. And we're on air on Tuesdays at 1pm and repeated on Saturdays at 3pm. If you'd like to get in touch, perhaps be signposted to a guest or seek advice from our therapist, you can email us at mentallysound at spicefm.co.uk or get in touch via social media where we have links to all our shows as well. On Twitter, we're at underscore mentallysound. On Instagram, we're at mentallysoundradio. And on Facebook, it's Mentally Sound Radio Show. And incidentally, on our Facebook header page, you'll find updated archives of all our podcasts with all the relevant listed topics underneath. We're also on all the relevant podcast platforms. Look up Mentally Sound on Clips, spelled C-L-Y-P, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Breaker and Apple Podcasts. And on our show this week, as we emerge further out of lockdown, what I've done is I've put together another little compilation series, some of our best bits from recent shows, with some tremendous guests. So please do enjoy. Thank you. off on this compilation episode, I'm joined by Claire Layden from episode 49. She's a senior manager of health improvement at HealthWorks Newcastle in the heart of Newcastle's West End. She'll be talking about mental health impact of the local community in lockdown. She'll also be talking about food and diet, the community gym and cancer champions. Um, mental health is a massive worry. Mm-hmm. Um, for everybody I think whether you work whether you're shielding whether you're on furlough I think you know mental health is a huge thing and you know it's about having you know tools to having tools to be able to manage that but also actually having those conversations with people as well because you know it it helps to sort of share and and talk Mm -hmm. um I think obviously again with the social isolation there's so many services that have just gone you know where people could you know older people could go out and and have a chat with you know friends and you know there would be like lunch clubs things like that it's like literally the whole world's just stopped and with that health's just deteriorated it's interesting yeah i mean it's 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 not something we 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 can ignore because the whole sort of diabetes thing i mean yourself and i as much you know as much as we know the west end we know the the many sort of fast food outlets and i guess with you know when all the kind of um the non-essential um shops that you know um you know of those of those sort of take were the, were the ones that were left open it was almost like well these are the options to go out and sort of get food and and often it was was these sort of fast food places so i guess it kind of 
lockdown in that sense kind of would have would have made that problem kind of worse, wouldn't it? I guess um, because I think we the West End has does have a a, a sort of a disproportionate sort of um, compared to other regions of the city, I guess, where these sorts of outlets are. Uh, or would you agree that that sort of thing exacerbates the problem? I would agree. Um, I think you know, really, a takeaway. I'm not against them, but mm. it's, a, it's a treat. Um, yeah. And if you're having something like that all the time, yeah. you know, the amount of sort of saturated fat—it's mm. so bad for your cholesterol, mm. your heart, your blood pressure. Yeah. Um, and you know, people were struggling if they were struggling to get out to get groceries, and yeah. and you couldn't get a delivery slot, or you didn't have technology, yeah. and you could, but you could just ring a takeaway. Very good point. Street. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's what you're gonna. It's what you're gonna do, and you can't mm. blame people for doing that. Mm. But the effect's gonna be quite. Yeah, quite I mean, big. if there's one thing I've learned in it, doing these sort of mental health shows, and I've learned about, um, you know, food psychology, we've had some really good discussions about that. We all know that, um, you know, things like eating disorders, it works the other way as well. Um, when you're when you're socially isolated and you're cut off from friends and family, um, often you know, what a lot of people uh, go to. You know, we talk about you know self medicating. People think about you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be. But often food is like that as well. And when you have these sorts of outlets that you're on your doorstep, on your doorstep, quite literally, because of the amount of many that are out there, uh, it's just so easy. It's so easy um, for a vulnerable person, for a trap to, to fall into. Um, so I think it's good, good that we acknowledge that. Um, and as you say at the start, Claire, as we kind of gradually go back to normal, are you are you expecting a sort of, a, you know, the word often here is a tsunami of, of uh, referrals amongst people looking to which, um, because I guess there's a there's going to be a lot of apprehension amongst people to get back. Maybe some people have gotten used to lockdown that they're quite scared about what the what society now will look like, or you know, the the, the you know we, we still looks like that we're going to have to get used to social distancing and wearing face masks for some while for a, for a while. So are you guys so prepared for the sort of oncoming months of what what you you, you might be expecting? Um, I think we've been really busy. We have been quite busy with a lot of people. I think have recognised, you know, especially just after Christmas, that mm-hmm. you know, things have got to a point now where they need support. So we have increased our workload anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's obviously we do. We have a community gym, and I think you know that's going to be opening on the twelfth. Yeah. But that's for existing sort of, um, you know people who use the gym already yeah. and then I think once we're fine with feet and you know if we've got space then we will allow more people to come in but it's so limited on yeah. the amount of people that you can actually visit the gym so mm-hmm. I think it's gonna it's gonna be one of those where I think we're just taking each day at a time yeah. and try and offer people as much as we can mm-hmm. um because you know we only have limited limited capacity but yeah. you know I think for us, really, we just want to help people as, mm. as many people as we can, mm. and as other services open yeah. up, as long as we all work together and join up, yeah. you know, that's going to be the best way of working together to help as many people as possible, and also try and inform other people of things we need in the community. I think, yeah, I think signposting in the next few months is going to be quite a big thing to do, and getting all the groups work together. I agree. Um, one of the one of the nice things I like about when I <laughs> when I nip off to get lunch and uh, and and I walk past the health works, I, I really like um looking at across at your window panes because it's almost like on each each panel you've got like a you advertise a specific service, you know things from yoga, um to shoe start and all that sort of thing. So 
Is abs- is everything on the cards? I mean, is everything going to be expected to open on the 12th or are you just keeping it on a limited basis for the moment? It is limited at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, obviously we're following the guidance. Um, like for me, obviously I usually work in the office in, in that building, but at the moment the guidance will still be sort of work from home if you can. So mm. a lot of our services will still be more sort of on the phone or virtual at the yeah. moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, hopefully that'll change soon mm. and you know everybody will get their, their vaccine and yeah you know the numbers will continue to drop so mm. you know hope you know hopefully it'll yeah, happen sooner crossed. but you just don't know do you and yeah. things have been hopeful in the past and it's just like like that kind of yeah. changes so yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to be realistic no yeah absolutely um because of course we all we're all very cautious about what may or may not happen given the year that we had last year aren't we so um that's quite natural to feel like that. Um, in our little wee chat before I hit the record button, you would you would kind of um, wanted to emphasise your your sort of new YouTube channel and all your sort of online services you have. So, um, what more do you have to tell us about that that the people out there ought to know about? I think I think if anybody's interested in what we're doing, I mean we we cover so many things. If you go to our website, which is healthworksnewcastle.org.uk, that'll give you a really good insight to what we do. But there's also links to our YouTube um, mm-hmm. channel, which we've got lots of different types of exercise on there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, breastfeeding support on there. Mm-hmm. We have. Um, you know, we have virtual cookbooks and yeah. there's just so many different resources that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it would just be useful. There's, there's wellbeing walks as well. We've done virtual walks. All um, right, excellent. Nice. Yeah, we're, honestly, we've had to be so creative just to try and help as many people as we can. Mm-hmm. And um, also one thing that I haven't mentioned, we do... We do work with volunteers and especially around sort of cancer champions as well. Yeah. So if anybody's interested in volunteering, it's on there as well. Volunteering is very good for your well-being. Mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 what I what I love doing as well. Um, just on the um, the volunteering basis, because it's something that I've asked a lot of um, um, sort of charities and, and, and sort of health organisations. Uh, is there a certain aspects to volunteering that they can and can't do or the new guidelines? Um, you know, respecting sort of social distance, or maybe is there a limit to what a person might do? I know that um, um, you know, something like phone therapy and stuff for to 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 ring people, vulnerable people in the area is quite a popular one. Yeah, um, I mean, we we do have different types of volunteers, and some things aren't yeah. happening in the moment. But we, you know, we have a, a a beautiful garden at the Leamington Centre, and we do have volunteers that do the garden oh, at the okay. moment. That's not happening, but you yeah. know, again, it might not be long till that happens again. Yeah. yeah. Um. Our cancer, our cancer champions, you know, they are being, if you want to be a cancer champion, you can be trained by Zoom mm-hmm. and then you'll be doing work sort of okay. from Zoom at the moment. But again, mm-hmm. that, that will change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have our breastfeeding volunteers and that's mm-hmm. lots, lots of different roles. Um, yeah. And yeah, in that support and sort of, you know, young new parents to sort of breastfeed and, and that's really, really useful. Awesome. Yeah, there's, there's lots of different options and they're getting more we're getting more options as the rooms change that's really encouraging to hear and in this clip from episode 61 I'm joined by Dr Anita Raja and Roshni Meher she's a postgraduate student and we talk about mental health taboos in the British Asian community what was it like growing up stereotypes within our community and our parents like an adult I think like a child still and I get very very emotional about things and I can cry about anything mm-hmm. and 
you know, I still need love and cuddles and, and I've missed out on those. Mm. I don't remember, and I'm telling you this, I don't remember my mom cuddling me ever. Mm-hmm. That has not happened at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's amazing with my boys, cuddles them, kisses them, gives them lots of love. And, you know, she spoils them rotten. But when it comes to me, I don't remember her doing that because I guess she was working. They were stressed. She may be struggling with her mental health at that time. She was Mm. very young, got married to my dad from another country. There was a very big cultural difference. You know, there was a gap, a huge age gap as well. Um, You know, and then she had me three years later. She had my brother. Mm. And she was in a, in a foreign country. I'm sure she was struggling. Yeah. Uh, but, and, 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 you know, she was very strict. So she'd always be angry with us. That, mm. that is my memory of my childhood. My mum mm. would never, we'd be so glad to see her smile and be happy because she'd never smile or laugh or be happy. She'd always be angry, upset. Mm. Um, and she was really very, very regimented. I mean, we weren't mm. allowed to do anything as kids. Um, but I, but I just feel that you know these are manifestations. You see, like you, you, you now think about your dad, and and you certainly are sure that he did struggle with his mental health. Yeah. I now feel, looking back at my life and the way my parents were with us, mm. that 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 was not a normal relationship we had. Yeah, you know, yes, they were working hard, but something wasn't right. I mean, they were they were they were frustrated, angry. And, and, and of course they were, because they were probably struggling. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't know what it was. Yeah. Uh, they probably thought it's life. This yeah. is life. Everyone is struggling. But yeah. it, it's not. You know, yeah. we can actually do something about this. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to my father, you know, we, we would hardly ever see him. And the only times in which he could treat us, you know, maybe on a weekend, like on a Saturday afternoon, he would drive us up to the beach. We would, he would, he would get it. We would get an ice cream from the ice cream man. We would... Eat it, eat it in the car, you know, staring at the sea, and then we'd be back home, and that was our that was our father son relationship, and and with all my siblings as well, and that's. But then I think of the, all the potential that could have been, you know, my 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 white British friends, their fathers used to play football with them in the park, and I just remember feeling so envious. Oh, I wish my dad would do that with us as well, you know, cricket or football, anything. Just, but I I guess you know as as um you know Roshni quite rightly says as well. The ethic of of being those that generation of immigrants, it, they worked blood, sweat, and tears, and they just didn't have the spare time, which is sad. Um, but there you go. Such is such is the uh, the course of this conversation. But um, one thing I was gonna say was that yes, they had they have this amazing ethic even now. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I'm learning through my research is that when they had mental struggles, they thought that they could. Um, kind of throw themselves into work mm. and they thought keeping busy and yeah. making money and doing things for the family kind of they almost thought that these um mental health issues would vanish yeah there's like a ca- there's like, like a, ca- a karma element towards it isn't it if you keep doing good keep working hard then you'll be rewarded by it wouldn't you that sort of thing uh, I mean, yeah i mean roshni this is so interesting what you've highlighted because would you believe that I do the same thing? This is my coping strategy. So <laughs> yeah. I, 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 this is what I think it may be something that we've learned from our parents because now that yeah. you're studying psychology, you may have come across all these interesting facts. So, and if you are an anxious person, it's probably because you've learned that from your parents, from, from your mum, 
particularly. So, yes. so it, these are things that you pick up as a child. And, and it's very interesting that for me, I, I had a pandemic pregnancy, a high risk one, because I lost my baby 21 weeks and then I, I couldn't conceive. And then I conceived my son, Rumi. Um, and I was in the midst of a pandemic and I had to work for a time. And, and, and instead of actually sitting at home and taking time off, what did I do? I worked nine hours a day, yeah. seven days a week, you know, so I have no time to think about my mental health and my mental state mm. from the ethnic minority, having a South Asian upbringing background, the sort of values our families instill in us. And the way we're brought up is very, very different to people from the Caucasian community, right? Yeah, yeah. So when my parents brought me up, and I'm sure both of you can relate to this, they taught me resilience. Mm -hmm. They taught me that if I do something, I've got to do it fully 100%. I can't, I can't be committed if I don't do it full-heartedly with mm -hmm. passion and of course, when I signed up for medicine, I knew that I had no other option, whether the public would clap or not. Mm. This is what we signed up for. And mm. this is what I was taught all my life. So if you sign up for something, you've got to fulfill it. Yeah. There's no, you can't chicken out. Yeah. And, and the pandemic is when they needed healthcare professionals. Mm. So there was no way for me to chicken out and say, sorry, I'm working from home. I'm not coming in to see anyone because yeah. you know, I'm pregnant. That would not work. That's yeah. not the way. I've been brought up. Mm -hmm. That's that is not that's not my those are not my values. That's not something that has been instilled in me. So yeah. I think it was more of that mm -hmm. than anything else. Okay, fine, great. Yeah, I was going to say I agree with Dr. Anita about that passion that's been instilled in us. It's like you must enjoy mathematics. You will enjoy science. You will become a lawyer or a solicitor. Like, and you will like it, and you will think it's fun. You know, it's almost like whatever you do, you're, you're, you must give 110%. And you need to get A stars. You need to get A star, star, star. You need to be the best in your class. And the honest truth is, in my family, we weren't. Mm. We, yes, we all got A's and B's and C's and we all passed. But to be honest, I think there was a lot of criticism from our family. And again, we cannot blame them. Because they were criticized by their own parents and our grandparents were criticized by our great-grandparents. Mm. However, it's our kind of time now to break those cycles, you know, break those vicious uh, labels, really. And in this clip from episode 57, we're joined by our therapist, Amir Mirza, and we discuss sports and mental health, the whole stigma around it, the pressure on athletes, this all being in the wake of Naomi Osaka, pulling out of various tournaments throughout the year to deal with their mental health. So I think it was a very big and brave step yeah. by herself to do this mm -hmm. uh, and bring it out. It's, it's like it's something she'd been, you know, uh, trying to manage and even fighting with for a long time. Yeah. So she came out with the honesty. Yeah. Their knee-jerk re uh, reaction was to stop her doing that. But then, of course, they released a statement after that, didn't they, supporting yeah. her, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, for the organisers of the tournament, mm -hmm. uh, to say, you know, we support them in any way and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it just shows, doesn't it, that uh, it's an example of stigma whereby someone sees it in a negative way, but then when they find the reason behind it, um, it's totally different, isn't it? Uh, the, the Do you think? It wasn't mentioned. 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 be I believe that as well. Do you think there was an element of there a little bit where, because enough, because a lot of people on on, on social media um, and elsewhere were almost condemning the 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 reprimand that that they were perhaps maybe under pressure and then therefore they reversed. Or do you think there was more? It was on balance. It was more sympathy towards what Naomi was was trying to describe in her emotions. I think it's it's, it's a bit of both, isn't it? Um, the first first reaction was there was no explanation mm. as to why she didn't want to do post uh, you know event uh, interviews, mm. post match interviews, and then they responded to that, mm. uh, and then she responded, or the, the agents ever responded that you know she there's been a history. Of mental health and depression mm. that she suffered, so they responded in that way. Okay. Um, at the timing of it, I believe the social media went uh, crazy mm. uh, when they heard what the reasons were mm -hmm. for her pulling out. Mm -hmm. um, the organisers didn't know that at the time. Yeah, you know, they, they so they just reacted to her not pulling out. Doesn't want to do it because it, it went on for a while, didn't it? For a couple it of days. Did, yeah, and I think her, a couple of her sponsorship uh, companies were also kind of backing her, which was which was really important as well. Um, that was after the event, though, wasn't it? That was yeah, after, it was afterwards. Yeah, released yeah. that statement because yeah. you know, uh, so you know, hats off to her. Really, mm. she's she's done really well. You know, shedding a light on this because yeah. stigma is um, it's actually for therapists. Mm. The majority of things, the majority of problems that people face is because of stigma. Yeah. Because, you know, how people see mm -hmm. mental health, mm -hmm. uh, people don't want to get help. So this is actually a gold mine yeah. for, for a therapist to work with. So on um, on Thursday night, you know, I'm a I'm an avid watcher of Question Time for my sins because, you know, it often gets my blood boiling. But um, and it does, you know, I often question what that watching programs like that does to my mental health sometimes. But I'm generally a big fan of debate and I, and I like listening to different opinions. And it was uh -huh. it was good that this question was was one of the questions raised in, in on Question Time on, on, on BBC One on Thursday. And um you know, majority. You know, they have a virtual audience now. You know, um, with with lockdown and everything, and 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 the pandemic. But um, from what I saw, the majority of the the virtual audience were in in in. You know, uh, as as we say, thought she was very courageous and how important it is to talk about mental health. But there was a few on the panel who believed that maybe she was naive. That um, you know, uh, for a person to embark on a on, on a sporting career, especially when they're top of their game and they're very talented, that um, having to cope with media and opinions and, um, you know, having to do the, the, the post-match interviews and, and so forth is, is part of the course in a way. And therefore, she was naive not to take on board with that. Is that a valid point, do you think? Uh, again, let's go to the beginning and use other sporting examples. Mm -hmm. These athletes... Tiger Woods was hitting clubs when he was two or three years old. And mm. uh, look at this, what he went through with his mental health. Mm. Uh, so that did get me thinking about, you know, where does this come from? What happens? And what, uh, how do they end up in such a place? So I think it, it's not naivety. Mm. It's actually how uh, they've processed life. Yeah. And, and the problem begins with the feelings and how they are, mm. are invalidated. Mm. You know, they, they're not they're not um, acknowledged mm -hmm. even from three years old hitting the club even from you know this young lady would have started at a very very young age playing mm -hmm. tennis yeah. and and of course that's at the expense of 
uh, invalidating feelings. And of course, when people respond in a certain way, they, I, I can give you an example. You know, when children, toddlers respond and have a tantrum mm-hmm. and respond in an aggressive way or something, because that is the quickest way for them to communicate if they feel that their feelings haven't been acknowledged. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so this ties in with what happens with athletes. Mm. So their quickest mm. way is to basically retract from it, you know, turn mm. to drugs, alcohol, or whatever, you know, they're yeah. to, to, to compensate <clears throat> for that invalidation of feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a classic example, uh, uh, you know, mm. uh, of how feelings need to be validated, uh, validated and how they can manifest themselves mm. at a later stage. When, yeah. when you haven't even acknowledged them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the whole world that we live in right now, I guess you can call it sort of a, you know, we're also in an era, not just social media, but culture wars where, yeah. um, uh, you know, opinion, it's not just um, people having thoughts. We now have the technology to, to air our thoughts and that gets, you know, pushed into the mainstream and people pick up on that. Um, people in the limelight, people who are in... Uh, who are famous have to grab that, you know, um, whether it's to do with sports people and uh, their performances on, on the field, on the pitch, or even like musicians on stage or actors in a film. They have to kind of really um, digest a lot more, um, what would you say, crit- criticism um, than probably ever before. So I, I guess it's a pressure of that as well. But do you think there's some an element within sports that also ties them in with them being role models that... Um, there's, there's a pressure there not to show any weakness. I mean, me and you agree, and, and many, many other people will say, that what Naomi, Naomi expressed was a sign of strength. Um, but I also think this is a good thing as well on, on, the, on the, uh, the, the sort of flip side or the, the byproduct in, in a way is that um, the more people kind of realise that, that even the, the, their big role models have these um, issues, that it's more relatable to them. So therefore, it can only be a good thing, right? And, and, yeah, it, it, there is, isn't there? There's a real conflict going on there because mm. it, 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 within your sport, you have to be totally ruthless. Yeah, absolutely. And then find and then switch that off mm-hmm. to try to live some sort of, you know, normality. Have some sort of normality within your life. Yeah. And um, good big stars have done uh, uh, really well in balancing this. You know, the likes mm-hmm. of Michael Jordan and everything and. Mm-hmm. Uh, with within the, uh, the 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 Bulls, the Chicago Bulls, the basketball player, yeah. how he managed it, he managed that really well because he had other outlets. And when you when your career has a single focus, and it's you know drummed into you that you can't waver from this. Yeah. You know, if one person is training eight hours a day, then the other ones have to train ten hours a day, mm. then. You're setting yourself up for a fall, aren't you? Really? Yeah. So, and it also identifies mm. the stigma attached with how people see mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, so as you mentioned, it's a weakness. And so, at this stage, you know, she, it would have been in her mind. You know, I'm suggesting that it would have come across as a weakness. Mm-hmm. So, in the end, it just got so much. But she had to get to that level. She had to be the top of that game. Yeah. You know, Tiger Woods had to be at the top of his game. Mm. And you know, have uh, have some accidents and fall off, and then everything starts unfolding. And on this little musical interlude for this compilation show, we have guest Ian Courtney, 
who donated a song and we're going to play this song now. Ian is a local musician and NHS worker and this song is called Solitude in Snow.
And in this clip from episode 58, I'm joined by acclaimed actress Kirsty Dillon from famous shows as Midsummer Murders and Man Like Mobeen. She'll be talking about method acting and drawing upon experiences of her own mental health and also how important fitness has been to her throughout lockdown. I wish I asked you before, but I'm going to ask you it now. Um, you know when you talk about, when actors talk about method acting and being inspired to take a role, has there, been, has there ever been a case where you have drawn upon your previous sort of mental health experiences in terms to towards a particular role where where that character has experienced that sort of thing that you you personally have had uh well i always use my own experiences when i'm working always yeah. um uh, without getting too <laughs> i could waffle a lot about acting all day without getting too geeky about it yeah basically i if it's my job to tell stories or to replicate human behavior in in a believable format so however each individual perceives it is not my business but as long as they connect can at some point connect with it as a believable human being and can be moved by that person whether they're outraged by me or repulsed by me or (laughs) enthralled it is not my it's not my problem but my job is to create a believable person yeah i'm only going to be able to come from my perspective of the human Mm. experience and as actors we are obsessed with human experience and and other people's stories so that trying to connect with how we all like make sense of this bizarre journey that we're on now i have not yet played somebody who is suffering from or is overtly suffering from specific anxieties or owns that they're suffering from anxieties. I would absolutely love love to. I have played the opposite. I have played uh, in a film called, which actually was nominated for um, a Biffa Award. It's, it's just been out recently. Um, called Justine. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about a young um, gay girl who's an alcoholic, and I play her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's only a short short couple of scenes I did, but I played. I used all those emotions, those massive, dark, deep emotions of what it's like to love an addict. But did the reverse of owning them, did that British thing of stuffing them down further and further and further. And so, and nobody does that very successfully, do they? So I imagine if you saw her mum, that same character, Olivia, a year later, or a couple of years later, then it might give me the opportunity to play her when she was slightly unravelling more. um, The current piece that I'm doing, yes, so... My project, um, Groom to Perfection, 
which is a play that I've written and is funded by the Arts Council and National Lottery, is now being turned into a podcast. So um, cool. it's about a group of women that were groomed and abused by a very famous man in history, and I play one of them. And yes, um, obviously the character's mental health is affected. Mm. But again, she doesn't... She isn't really owning it, that process. So I yeah. think it would be an interesting challenge. I've never thought of it, Ricky, but now you've put that in my head to play someone who was going through the process of trying to, that journey mm. of owning their own anxiety and trying to tackle their mental health. I think it would be a really, really good idea. Yeah. Because I know from I... reading your bio, so you've done like, as they say, Man Like Mobian, which is a show I really like. You know, oh, you've done I com- absolutely love that. You've done comedy and obviously I with totally serious serious roles with with Midsummer Murders and Doctors and and Holby City. Yes, so I was really yeah. curious as to whether you touched on mental health as part of your. No, I am. Yes. I, um, I I would like to. I've I've often played complete bitches or. <laughs> So, so they're still wearing that hard exterior. They're not ready yet to let any kind of vulnerability come out. Yeah. But I, I believe that every human being has it inside them. It's just whether it could just take one event to, yeah. to stop the mask from being so successful. But no, I haven't had the opportunity to play that yet. So there you go, Rick. You've just put the idea in my head. <laughs> That's got to happen now. Excellent. Well, I look forward to when that ha- when that occurs. I mean, yeah. So we follow each other on Instagram and I noticed that you kind of really got into fitness and running and stuff was really yeah. important to your well-being. So um, um, what would your words be out to listeners as to how fitness in regards to, you know, importance of mental well-being? For me, it's about getting out. Of, there's a few things. Getting out of a, a train of thoughts. We talked earlier about... Um, helping yourself out and stopping that voice and sometimes for me distraction is the biggest key so getting out of my head and into my body mm-hmm. and sometimes the bigger the resistance within yeah. the training so the harder it is mm-hmm. the more I notice that I've become out of my head uh, it doesn't give me time or space to think um or to ruminate or to get anxious yeah. and then on a physiological level just what it does for your brain chemistry uh endorphins serotonin Definitely. um your blood pressure, uh, your sleep, yeah. um, the fact that after a bit of exercise, I'm I'm much more consciously aware of the fact I have to hydrate, and we mm. and we know that like it sounds like a small thing, but actually that if you have anxiety and depression, good hydration is really important, yeah. and we forget it. Yeah. If you're taking meds, which I started doing again during lockdown, I started taking an SSRI again. I haven't taken that for years. Mm. Um, my GPs great and they're really clear about if you exercise with your SSRI um, because it's going to block the serotonin inhibitor you're going to feel all that serotonin just go for it and yeah you know I I, the way that I move my body is changing as I'm getting older I can't really run as much I I do it a little bit Um, I love the bike I love cycling Mm. um also, something about cycling where it doesn't feel like quite as hard effort at the beginning. It does when you get to a hill. But there's something really nice about you feel like typical actor. I feel like I'm in a movie. Like the wind is blowing, and like you like I usually have tunes on in my ears, and yeah. I'm like la di da di da. Do you know what I mean? You're off on a little adventure. 
And in this clip from episode 65, I'm joined by Geua, Maida, and Shami from the Crest Charity in South Shields. They discuss the hurdles and barriers and stereotypes which face British Asian women in particular, so they talk about how to empower and improve their mental well-being. Do you feel that they had to maybe overcome previous taboos and stereotypes enable them to do that? Maybe they were part of their reluctancy, as as I think Maida alluded to before, was that these were the sorts of things that they perhaps didn't weren't supposed to do or didn't see themselves doing. Perhaps they were worried what other what other people might think of them. So they maybe yeah. have to come over barriers and hurdles to do that. Yeah, so many barriers, yes. The mm. language, the culture. Mm. But once they're over the, those, first time you see them, they kind of like, it's like they're in bondage. Yeah. They're so terrified. You can see it on their face and their um, posture. Yeah. But once you start to get to know them mm-hmm. at a level that, you know, and they start trusting you, you can see them relax and start trusting you. And it's the fear of the unknown. Yeah. They don't know what they're going exactly. to. Yeah. And until they get out and try, yeah. they keep coming back. And were they often saying things like that they wished that these that they were doing, done these sorts of things years and years ago? Yes. Yeah. But we tell them it's okay. It's not too late. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's never yeah. too late. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you just look back and, you know, you can live in the past. Or you mm-hmm. can move forward, yeah. but learn from what you what you're, you know. Learn from the past and move into the future. Live the pre- live in the present and enjoy it. Exactly. And plan for the future. Yes. That's really really heartwarming to hear. Um, next question, Maida. I want to ask you. Um, I was looking at the website before, and um, one particular um person who was featured, I think, in a particular post. Um, she was talking about how doing things like mixed martial arts was important to her mental health. So with that in mind, what are the other sort of things that you have offered people and how sort of beneficial it has been to their well-being in, in terms of things that you've seen and the kind of things that you as an organisation offer? Yeah, so yeah, um, regards to, I think it was Maisha. Maisha, that's uh, she's, right, yeah. Like, yeah. She's an absolute uh, monster now because she's like so tough with the pads and everything. Um, but yeah. yeah, so Maisha, she had come on. Um, she was part of our Young Women Girls group. Yeah. And this is the way we work. And I say this is the difference in terms of why it's so important to build a bridge. So the way we did it was with the Young Women Girls group, we approached the gym, who was offering mental, um, sorry, mental, mental, martial arts. Mm. And we said, could we do a specific, could you give us a specific day, a specific group just for our girls? And, yeah. you know, we did them for, for that time and just to have our group. So that, you know, because the girls have never done this before. They don't often feel comfortable in like mm. just sort of other mixed areas. Yeah. And um, so we did that, and then obviously some of all the girls just absolutely loved it, and some of them just took it further mm-hmm. and had the confidence to integrate into the normal classes. And that was Maisha. So Maisha goes to the gym starting the day that she started going to the ones that we had offered um, at the gym through through our youth group. Mm-hmm. She has gone, except obviously through the pandemic, every week since then, because wow. it just ignited this new talent in her and this new just love. Yeah. Um. So that is so important. This is why it's so important that we offer these one-off little things where people can come in, get comfortable, get the confidence, and then go in and integrate with the normal groups. So that's you know, in terms of the martial arts, that's that's where that's happened there. Um, and, and there's a ton of other things, as yeah was mentioned with with the elderly group, um, just offering them just weekly activities and stuff, which we again hope to start off. Um, and again, just stuff like one of the things that we do offer, and 
it's, it's been so important and really well taken is just advice sessions, we'll say, mm. all of them, access to services, builders, skills. So a lot of the people who come in to South Tyneside, they want to know, they want to understand how the UK runs, right? Mm. Who, who, who don't have English as addition, um, sorry, who have English as addition and language. They want to understand, how do I make a doctor's point? They don't want to keep relying on us, right? Mm. We don't want them to rely on us. You know? yeah. We want them to, to have that independence to do simple things like making a doctor's appointment like um, checking their online journal for the university credit, etc. And we want to instill that independence. So what this, that we, the sessions that we um, deliver, and it's run by Huda, one of our um, development workers, um, she just goes through, you know, gets a form up on, on, on a PowerPoint and each week goes through with them, how do I make an appointment? How do I contact the head teacher of the school? Or um, you know, how do I make a complaint? So, you know, just different things or... Um, how do I put a bid in for a house or we do I look for, for rent and, you know these things yeah. that we think oh we could just do that click of a finger on Google mm. whereas for, for our beneficiaries it's not that easy so yeah. um, we offer that services and you know, so still that independence um, mm-hmm. in, in, in them which is really important and then again that alleviates a lot a lot of stresses a lot of you know because I mean when going back to, to the elderly community there was an elderly community who were supported throughout the pandemic who were um, they're 60 plus and they, they live absolutely isolated. They've got no family in in, yeah, in, in, in the UK. Um, and they've got no children or anything. And they didn't know how to do simple things. And obviously, it was so much pressure over the pandemic. How do I do these little things? So they called rest. And what I did is I just did doorstop visits just to show them how to do things. Mm. So just simple something like that. Um, alleviate that stress so much because they're like, right, okay, we've got a bit of support. Or, or they would have been, you know, and again, this is where um, the changes in terms of the way benefits and stuff have to work. I mean, you know, the Saudi couple do work as well, mm. and um, just didn't know how to sort of update their journals and stuff, which put them at risk of you know getting their accounts sanctioned, etc. Yeah. Um. So just offering those those little services that we offer are probably the most important, and uh, because it just it, it supports people through the day to day life, the day to day struggles that they've got. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Shami, do you, is there any other examples that you can um? pinpoint where you've seen someone um, like Maisha who perhaps showed a bit of reluctancy at the beginning but finding a particular course or hobby or or something that you as an organization offer and see them thrive and come out the other end a completely different person I imagine you see quite a few obviously and um, yeah thanks Ricky uh, basically I'm going to use the testimonial that we've got here so we've got Gewa, if she doesn't mind. Basically, she, she's an inspiration to us. And we, we basically met her about four years ago. Myself and Shuli were working in the office. And I was a operations manager at that moment. And Shuli was the CEO. And we didn't have a receptionist uh, slash admin officer. So I was really sweating my head off. And I had so many reports to do. Uh, for funders and and she just raised their hand and how can I help you and like oh my god we are looking for a, a day-to-day volunteer that comes and mans our our front desk so she volunteered for a year and you know later on we, we 
managed to secure funding. She was fortunate enough to, you know, to go through the interviews and getting herself a job of IAG. We put her through level level two IAG training and she has done a level three and now she works for, for Quest. She's been with us for, for nearly three years. So so this is you know, these are some of the highlights. So we actually have a real life case study with us. And you know fantastic. And this final clip from episode 66, uh, we once again joined by Ami Mertzer, our therapist, and we discuss the powerful impact that racism has on our mental health. We talk about forgiveness, special cases, peer support, and how it affects us in the long run. Talks extensively about that. Another great guy, uh, David Harewood, the actor. Um, he, he did a documentary series about his upbringing because he he was actually sectioned in his um, younger life. That's right. I yeah. watched that one. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he talked a lot about the racism that was really rife in his growing yeah. up, and he he interconnects that as well. So, and I think in previous podcasts, me and yourself have skirted around the issue of racism. Well, we've uh, in terms of like impacting mental health. But if I was if someone's ask you as a therapist, um, the impact. Um, on racism and mental health how would you how would you define it how would you sort of you know put it into a few sentences about how deep this can be it's difficult uh, to put it in a few sentences but briefly saying to address this to address mental health mental health although affecting the individual you know i suggest that it's it is an environmental issue whether that be through race class or anything else so for that person to recover and feel supported, they need the support of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So when race comes into it, you know, you might be supported in your house, but once yeah. you're going out the door, yeah. you're actually, you know, feeling demonized, you know, uh, and that's just compounding mm-hmm. your mental health on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a big factor. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, I find it strange now when, when, when organizations or, actively seeking people from certain backgrounds and everything else and all that. And I think to myself, I feel quite strange actually being in that environment. And I mean, specifically big because rather than on my, you know, on my merits, mm-hmm. you know, because as well, it's, it's a bonus if you're Asian or, you know, black or from any minority group mm-hmm. and you speak different languages. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's, that isn't necessarily the right way. It's actually acknowledging the problem mm-hmm. that if you have to state something, you know, rather than saying you want a person for the job. Yeah. But in a lot of job applications, we actively encourage applicants from this. Mm. That shows the problem itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny you mention that because just on this very day, um, there's a Scottish politician and he actually, uh, the, the story came out in the Daily Record that um, his his daughter, I believe, um, they made an application for. He, he's of. He's of a. He's of. He's a black and Asian. Uh, his name's Hamza. Hamza Yusuf. That's uh, right. He's, yeah. he's quite Glasgow, a good. Is he? Yeah. yeah. Um, quite a good guy actually. He's he's really. Um, I find him really kind of um, well read and 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 a re- really really good guy, regardless of what your politics are. But um, yeah, he 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 tried to get his his um young toddler daughter into a nursery, and she got turned down. And um, I mean, there's there's much more to this story. There's much more meat to this story, but but um, you know, in a nutshell, he then, I guess you could say, um, just tried to uh, you know do a public experiment, as it were. So he got one of his uh, white colleagues to um, make an applicant 
for 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 their daughter as well, and she got accepted. And there's no differential differentiality between the two young 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 yeah. young children. Um, I think it was in Dundee, if memory serves me, that they tried it. Um, yeah. And the 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 kindergarten nursery has come out and say, look, we're we're, we're innocent and all this and stuff. But I mean, I mean that's just. I mean, I would say that. You know, from a personal point of view, um, you know, I was one of the, you know, we live in the outer west of Newcastle and um, um, growing up in a state school, I was the only one of two um, Asian kids. Um, and you know what it is with school where you look for peer support, you want to fit in and it's not easy. Um, um, and yes, there was racism, but I was such a quiet kid that I didn't really, I think I was acutely aware, Amir, that the more I divulge, my, divulge myself into group activities or, or you know, try and get directly involved with peers, I think I was acutely aware that that might leave me more exposed to having um, racism and knowing how much how hurt, hurtful it can be. And I'll tell you another thing. I, fi- I find that out. I find that when your peers would, would sometimes mumble, I say mumble, it's probably allowing them to get away with it. But if they mention the, the P word, the P bomb. Um, in fact, uh, another another good example to read. Anita Rani, the BBC presenter, talk talks about this as well in a recent podcast about you know one of her colleagues at work um, dropped the P bomb and she was left. She had to laugh it off. She was so embarrassed by it, and and that is true. People who've gone through the same thing often feel quite embarrassed. That you know we we ensure all our trust in our you know peers, and often if you're they're often being majority white. And when one of them drops the P-bomb, that is more hurtful than someone just run, some guy running, you know, randomly run to run up to your face and shouting racism. It, it's when your peers, like, stumble upon that word and there's, there's like, an, a bit, bit of an embarrassment, a bit of, you know, hidden, you know, laughing behind our, our mouths sort of thing. That is more hurtful than someone running up to you and selling something, shouting something. Would you, yeah. would you, do you see that? Would you, have you had any similar experiences? I do, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is a term where they talk about institutional racism, don't they? That yeah. sort of fits into that category, doesn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's very quiet. Mm. Uh, the words aren't directed. They might be used in a certain way. So, of course, what you said about a person coming up mm. and saying this directly to your face, they're actually being more honest than everybody else, aren't they? Mm. They're expressing exactly, their feelings, exactly, how they feel exactly. about it, you know. So they, yeah. they, it's, it's, it, they're not being subversive in any way. Yeah. And, you know, it ties back into, like you said, the culture and everything of racism and how it affects our mental health. Mm. Uh, you know, I've had friends who have felt that way originally going into certain jobs and then realised that that was the case yeah. and have had to leave. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So being, it, it, it's that trust, isn't it? It's just that, Yes, you, you realise that you are different, as it were. You're not really different, but you know that the, you're the only brown face amongst a sea of white people. And when you feel embraced, therefore you've ensured their trust and you think it's the same vice versa. So when one of them or more than one of them um, says something um, and you just feel so let down, you think, I thought you were one of the good guys, but but you're not, are you? Um, it doesn't matter how... Doesn't matter how many sorries come afterwards, it's the fact that they've said it. Do you think, though, as well, Amir, though, because I mean, I'm talking about my younger days, and I know that people evolve through time, and and a lot of people, I mean, the, the stuff that I've said in my younger time, which I'm embarrassed by and wouldn't say again, 
Is there an element of forgiveness there? Do you think that we can forgive if people have evolved in that way? I know people. Have, I know it's a big social media storm with what people might have tweeted previously, and they want to say sorry for and that kind of thing. How much do you think forgiveness is uh, crucial in this discussion? I think forgiveness is crucial, isn't it? Uh, mm. If those mistakes aren't made again, yeah. If those mistakes are made again. Then that's not forgiveness, no. isn't it? That's no. that's that, that that's a choice, isn't it? That's yeah. intention. Mm. So forgiveness is a major part of this. Mm. I know Jacinda, uh, you know, famously apologised for the yes, yes. So that wraps it up for this special compilation episode of Mentally Sound. Thank you all for listening. Join us again next week for some more Mentally Sound Life in Lockdown. If you listen to us on Spice FM, stick around for the next show. But in the meantime, stay safe, look after yourself, and more importantly, take care of your mental health. Thank you. Bye-bye.